You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Metaphysical Fiction. This is our second episode. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, but uh, I'm going to hand it over. We're going to get into it right away. Uh, We're going to talk about Wanda uh, uh, in the MCU in this episode, but I'm going to hand it off to to the proper host, to the real host of this show, uh, to Carl LeClaire. Yeah, first off, you're far too kind. This is is a joint effort. I'm so glad. to get to have the conversation with you. Uh, Cause I think you're going to have a lot of wisdom about some of the, co- the, the concepts we're going to talk about while we discuss Wanda Maximoff here. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, in, in like a quick aside and obviously alluded to this, uh, you know, when we did our first episode, uh, WandaVision is responsible for me falling in love with Marvel. This is what brought me in. I mean, I'd seen some of the movies, enjoyed yeah. them to varying degrees. Um, but th- this story, this story of this, this woman, dealing with grief and the the loss of so much in her life that very human story drew me in specifically to WandaVision but also to this wider mythos of like there's so much going on and and this is obviously a very interconnected story and um I'm just about done as of as we're sitting here to record right now Mike um I did a I watched every Marvel movie from Age of Ultron through Endgame many of them for the first time and now I've been doing from the I've been doing them in release order and I've I've only got Captain Marvel and Endgame left um and I'm just absolutely loving these movies uh but Wanda is a character specifically that I'm really astounded by and what what we're going to look at in this episode a little bit is uh, kind of like we talked about in, in the first episode, we're going to look at a little bit of the, the religious connections. There's a lot of religious mythology embedded in this character. Um, we're going to look at the power of grief and how that's so important to Wanda's story. And we'll end by looking at what are some of the lessons, right? Like if all of these stories Mike and I are going to be discussing are mythological stories, they're trying to teach us something. So we'll get mm-hmm. to kind of bounce around some of the ideas of what we think uh, this character is teaching us through her own story. But Mike, this is where I need your help the most, especially is just kind of who is Wanda? Who is she in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, can you maybe give just like a brief snippet of like where she came from, even in the comics and stuff? Like just a little bit of the background on that character. Yeah. So Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, uh, originated in the Avengers. So that's it's one of the reasons why as a mutant character, she she's actually allowed to be in the MCU or what prior to the, to the Fox acquisition was allowed to be. So basically what happened is uh, around the time that we were going into age of Ultron, the second Avengers film, Marvel and Fox made a deal. I Fox wanted to be, wanted to keep using Quicksilver because, because I, or maybe they had just, they were just about to introduce him as well. I'd have to look at that in the timeline. I don't know the, the X-Men movies as well as I know the MCU, but um they wanted to use Quicksilver, right? Uh, and, and to great effect. I mean, like the, the Quicksilver sequences are one of the only redeemable things about those X-Men movies. The the second batch of them, in my opinion. Uh, but I, I, they wanted to use him. They weren't going to use Scarlet Witch necessarily. Um, so, so Marvel and Disney made a deal with them of like, hey, we're going to use Scarlet Witch. You guys can have Quicksilver. And so... Uh, in I I what, what's the first one? Uh, the the first one is first class, and then it's stays of future past. The second one, I think so. I whichever one introduced Quicksilver, they have like a real throwaway of like his little sister. Um, I but they 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 did it very differently, where they they're different ages and stuff. In the comics, they're twins. Uh, they are the uh, twin son and daughter of Magneto. 
I, I, so they're, they're directly related to the X-Men's arch nemesis. Although Magneto is kind of one of those nemesis that he's like, is he really a bad guy? Is he a good guy? Sometimes he's on the team. Sometimes he works with them. Sometimes they're fighting him. Sometimes he has a big asteroid. It, it's confusing. <laughs> the X-Men is a whole other thing. I, I, but, but in the MCU, we don't have mutants. We don't have Magneto. We don't have any of that connection. So, um, so they introduced Wanda and Pietro in Age of Ultron, completely divorced from their uh, from their X Men uh, mutant origins, um, and they created this whole other backstory, including this country Sokovia, which is not a real country; it's made up. Um, stay tuned to that because I'm pretty sure where we're headed is that it's going to end up being um, uh, Lat- uh, Latveria, which is uh, uh, where Doctor Doom kind of hangs out if you've been paying attention to falcon and the winter soldier there have been some hints that post the snap things kind of started to change and then after the blip it's like we're trying to figure out where borders who has ownership of what and i think a a one victor von doom might come in and and uh, sort of draw his own lines on the map um and and i think that sokovia might end up being sort of amalgamated into that um, but they made up this whole it's it was weird that they were like, we're going to call it Sokovia, which is a very sort of like vaguely Eastern European uh, USSR type of uh, of a uh, country. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, when they could have just done Ledveria and started to set that. But actually, that's not true. They didn't have access to the Fantastic Four stuff at the time. So that's probably why they did it. Um, so, yeah, it, they, they introduced these two characters um kind of as bad guys uh which is interesting because they are kind they do have origins in that within the avengers um and uh, uh so they're 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 painted as nemesis to begin with but but we all knew i mean like even the marketing material didn't shy away from the fact that like by the end of this movie they will be avengers mm. <laughs> like like don't worry about it quicksilver <laughs> and scarlet witch will be avengers now she's never called scarlet witch she's she's called wanda uh right uh, up until WandaVision. So, um, but I, I, they're introduced in this really interesting way, which is that they're tied to an infinity stone, something that we didn't know was an infinity stone, which was, uh, what Loki's staff, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, his, it was just called Loki's scepter in Avengers. But then we discover in age of Ultron that it's actually, uh, that it's actually got the mind stone inside of it. Um, which is a really weird thing retroactively. It was a weird choice because then you go back to Thanos and like his whole mission. It's like, why did he give up one of the, one of the infinity stones <laughs> if his whole thing was to collect them, but that's fine. We're going to ignore that. Um, because we've gotten so much cool mythology built around the fact that Wanda's powers are now tied to the mind stone as is vision, which that character as well, like his origin story is completely uh, uh, redeveloped for Age of Ultron as well. Now, obviously, Vision is always tied to Ultron and the Avengers. Um, and, and those in the comics, Hank Pym has a lot more to do with Ultron and Vision. Um, but Hank Pym hadn't been introduced yet. So hmm. yeah. um, and and the Hank Pym that we ended up getting is very different from the one in the comics um, in terms of timeline. Um, he's sort of one of those pre Avengers, uh, along with Howard Stark and, and Peggy Carter mm-hmm. and, and all of those characters. So, so like age of Ultron really switched stuff up, but did what the MCU does so well, which is that it, it remained true to the heart of the stories. So even if they come from Sokovia, the, their powers come from the, the infinity stones, like it's, it, they're still the characters that they're supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. They they, yeah. they still very much resemble the characters from the comics. Um, one of the most interesting pieces for me as an MCU fan is that right from the beginning, Wanda's powers reflected the reality gem uh, from, or the reality stone from, at that point, uh, the Aether from uh, Thor the Dark World. 
I, so when she like, like uh, rips apart all of the, the Ultron bots towards the end of the fight, like they, they disintegrate in the same way that the Aether kind of disintegrates stuff. Um, and, uh, and then I, uh, uh, Pietro's powers, his, his ability to move super fast is actually, you might think time stone, but it's actually related to the space stone. So he's able to move through space at, at an astonishing speed. Um, and that's it, it ties into like the blue uh, of, of his uh, of his speed effect. But but they actually like if you go back and you kind of look at it, you look at the Tesseract and and a lot of the the effects that they do involve with that. It it relates directly into the uh, the 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 abilities that he has, the like sort of the visual of, of when he uses his powers. So it was a very cool thing that established like, hey, I an infinity stone has the ability to grant powers. Um, so far we've only seen that effect on humans and we've seen it on three characters. We've seen it on, uh, on Wanda. We've seen it on Pietro and we've seen it on Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. Um, and she also like, she, she's a, exposed to the Tesseract, but doesn't get space powers. Her powers are actually probably more closely linked to the power stone than any of the other ones. Um, but it doesn't, they don't really look like it either. She just kind of has her own signature style with the photon blasts and stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it always kind of like right from the beginning when they were first introduced at the end of, I believe winter soldier. Yeah. I think they were, I think, yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're the post credit scene in that. Um, we see them, and it was like, oh, like this is like Hydra is doing something. They're creating mutants enhanced. I, I like right from the beginning, there was a lot of speculation of like, where is this going to go? How far is it going to go? Um, and getting into the most recent stuff, I mean, like Wanda has the ability to alter reality, and is this going to be how we bring mutants into the MCU and have the X Men established? Um, I still maintain that that the uh, uh, three times that the Infinity Gauntlet was used on Earth are going to have a lasting effect on a bunch of the humans with uh, some sort of a special genetic marker, uh, an X gene, if you will, um, and that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna introduce all of the mutants, and will that that'll allow us to establish that there have been mutants for about six or seven years by the time that they introduce them because they'll have existed from the snap forward. So from the first time that Thanos uses the Infinity Gauntlet, that power might go out anybody with an X gene has the potential to be activated. Um, and then it happens two more times. The, 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 the two more times are in very close sequence when Hulk brings everybody back. And then when, uh, when Tony uses the stone at, at the end of infinity game and uh, sorry, infinity game end game. Um, so we have, we have those three instances where this cosmic uh, infinity energy has washed over earth Um really good opportunity for them to explain where mutants come from but they might still use scarlet witch who knows who knows so that's kind of that's kind of where we are with the mcu where she fits into it um they, they did use her in civil war as a proxy for mutants in order to to kick civil war off which is interesting because it's a mutant in the comics that kicks off civil war as well he explodes and destroys an entire town and that's when the government kind of comes in and goes, there should be some sort of a regulation. Like we should, we should be registering all of these metahumans. So they don't call them metahumans. That's a DC term. Uh, but uh, all, all of the, like these, these super people, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is all, like, is a real big point of contention in the, in the X-Men stuff all the time. Is like the mutant registration act is a main storyline in those comics, but it like, it kind of never bled over into everything else until this happened with civil war. And so it was interesting that they, they basically used her as the uh, catalyst to kick that off being that she's like the only mutant in, in the movies, right. Uh, in the MCU. So um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was did you have any other questions about the origins of Wanda Maximoff? No, um, I think that's helpful to know where she came from. You know, in 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 the comic world and how how they. I appreciate. I like that point you make about how, because obviously this probably happens a lot with the MCU. They change a lot of things about these characters' yeah. stories, yet yeah. remain true to the 
kind of the the heart of the character. Um, so I think what's interesting with her kind of introduction, you know, cinematically, um, alongside her brother, right, is and obviously WandaVision gives us a tremendous amount of backstory to everything because she doesn't we don't get much of her story in the movies. It's WandaVision that flushes this character out and almost, you know, retroactively explains a lot of who she is. Um, so, right. We know that they're orphaned at a young age and eventually get picked up by Hydra and they become radicalized. Um, and it seems to imply in WandaVision that, that um, Agatha um, seems to imply that she's born with this special ability in the mystic arts and yeah. the encounter with the Mind Stone isn't what necessarily gave them to her. It's just kind of what awakened it, right? Um, and so I think that's that's really neat is uh, this is something very true in religious mythology is this, this idea that an individual has a specific skill or a specific gift that they don't become aware of until they have some sort of divine encounter. And I feel like the way that that happens in... Wanda's story is when we have that flashback scene of her kind of, you know, the scientists are sending her into the room to encounter, uh, you know, Loki's staff. And she has this vision of the Scarlet Witch. Um, mm -hmm. And what I what I love about that it, it, in that moment is, is I'm wondering, is is that her seeing some like divine entity or is that her just seeing herself like her possible future? I, I don't know. I think it's left purposefully Im ambiguous. Um, but, you know, I mean my immediate thought was, Oh my gosh, this is Moses with the burning bush, right? Like he has this encounter with this, this divine light that really shakes him up and, and reveals that he has this special calling. There's this special skill to him. Um, and that's what happens to Wanda in, in light of this is she's always, according to WandaVision, she's always had these innate skills with the mystic arts. And then that encounter with the mind stone just kind of sends it, you know, into overdrive, if you will. Um, so she, it's really fascinating too that you know it in in the finale of the show. You know we learned that the Scarlet Witch isn't born but forged. I, I love this idea that, um, you know she's <laughs> to use Star Wars language, she's not a chosen one created by the Force itself, but rather the Scarlet Witch is a product of experience. And who better to write like it, again to me like this was brilliant storytelling is the previous episode is we get her entire backstory. We get this this history of this character who has lived through the loss of her parents, who she obviously had a beautiful relationship with. She lives through the loss of her brother and then the loss of her beloved. So this is a this is a character whose entire story has been so profoundly formed by loss. And it has forged her into the Scarlet Witch. So, um, and this is like kind of what I'll posit towards the towards the end of our conversation. But in a lot of ways, these horrible things that happen to her become her truth that also make her who she is. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's it, it's a very typical story trope of becoming something more in the face of tragedy, right? Luke and the friggin', um, you know, dead aunt and uncle, uh, yeah. no different in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, like, so her, her story to me and the reason this character is so compelling to me is it's a character who is specifically defined by loss and what that loss means and what that, uh, that experiences, uh, forge her into becoming. Um, so, as I was doing a little bit of research about this sort of character existing in, in religious mythology, um, the first thing I found was uh, the goddess Demeter, um, who is a goddess known for their grief. She grieves every winter season the loss of her daughter Persephone, right, who was abducted by Hades and taken to hell. So while, you know, they, they strike a deal where she's allowed to be on earth again for a time, but while, while she's gone, you know, Demeter is grieving. Um, and there's this, this cycle, um, to the grief, um, and an even more profound, uh, religious mythological story is the story of Shiva. Um, and Shiva is obviously one of the great Hindu gods and, um, he grieves the loss of, uh, I'm probably pronouncing names wrong. I apologize, but Sati. Um, who is his spouse, Sati dies, and Shiva becomes this destructive force. 
And then Sati is reborn as Parvati and they can be happily ever after again. So the story of Shiva is the story of loss, grief, and rebirth. But in the process of all that is also um, Shiva, Shiva iconography, the iconography of Shiva is probably well known to many people. It's the image of this God dancing in the midst of a circle and they're dancing on a, on a demon. Um, That is, that's who Shiva is in in Hindu uh, traditions. So Shiva, apparently, whenever he goes into that state of mourning, he starts the dance of destruction and rebirth. So again, like there is something sacred in the story of loss and in the story of grieving and how grief can give way to rebirth. Um, And, you know, the the last thing I wanted to mention in this regard, too, is obviously in the Christian tradition, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there is a story about a garden called Eden and the first person put there has this sense of emptiness, right? God creates all of these creatures and yet nothing seems to quite fulfill this early person. So God puts them to sleep and creates out of them a companion, right? And that's where Eve comes from out of the rib of Adam. And I think that's really neat because when we see that beautiful uh, moment when Wanda just bursts forth this spontaneous creation um, and and does what she does in Westview. It's so cool to see vision literally being drawn out of her heart. Um, mm-hmm. So, right, it's th- this idea that um, she herself creates something out of her grief. Um, and, right, there's that profound truth about how um, human persons are created for relationship. And I don't, I don't mean to always say that it has to be a romantic relationship, but we are created for relationship. We are created for community. And, you know, when we don't have that to some capacity, we feel that lack to use the visions language, right? I've never felt the lack because I've never had anyone. Um, but Wanda has, Wanda feels the lack and there is something profoundly human about that need for companionship. Um, and so in the midst of this grief of hers, she creates that, she creates that, which she is missing. Um, but obviously as that story kind of points out, there are also consequences, you know, um, because now she's kind of taken over this entire town and, and, and people are stripped from their own realities to to be duped into, to Wanda's. Um, and that gives way to this, uh, you know, the power of her grief. Um, and I, I, I think this to me was, again, what sold me on WandaVision is uh, you and I were just talking before we before we hit the record button about, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And you, know, you were pointing out how how awesome it is and how that Marvel's being so bold with some of its you know social and political commentary um, mm-hmm. through the show. And I, and I would say in a, in a similar way, there's there's an incredible boldness in WandaVision to tackle something as heavy as grief with such uh, profound delicacy. Um, so, uh, you know, the, Wanda on the on screen, the first time we really see the power of her grief. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the Marvel movies at this point is when Pietro dies, when he you know, he moves to he moves in to save Hawkeye and that child and is, is killed in, in, in their place. When the camera goes to Wanda and she just falls to her knees and boom, outbursts this, you know, just burst of energy that just destroys every agent of Ultron around her. Um, I mean, again, like I, I'm watching a lot of Marvel in two months, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. And in, in, in light of WandaVision. So it's easy to, probably then maybe for some folks who watch them over years to see some of these connections, but it just visually, again, there's this beautiful parallel to the, to that same moment when she's standing in that empty lot in Westview, that vision had purchased for them to start a home and, and she falls to her knees and drops that deed and this beautiful music starts and she starts to cry and boom, this burst of massive energy just pours out of her to reshape everything around her. Um, It's, if somebody was like, oh, where'd that come from? We never seen to want to do that before. It's like, actually, yeah, it's one of the first things you see her do, <laughs> you know, is yeah. her response to the loss of her brother is to just kind of reshape 
aka destroy everything around her. Um, and it almost as if it's not, it's almost like it's just uh, a reaction. It's not like willful in a way, right? Like, I don't think she, in that moment in Age of Ultron, I don't think she's conscious of thinking, oh, I have to destroy this enemy around me. It's just more of she falls into grief and that grief is powerful. Um, and I think part of the lesson Wanda needs to learn is how do I grieve responsibly, right? If that makes sense, you know, and 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 to connect to the, to the human experience, right? Like when when human beings experience loss, sometimes the easiest thing to do, right, is pick up, you know, pick up some alcohol, pick up some drugs, pick up some, you know, destructive behaviors um, to to kind of uh, to kind of deal with that grief, which is human. And I think Wanda's story is grief is really really powerful and can be very very destructive and recreative. Um, so we need to be responsible of how do we grieve? Um, and I think that there's a certain amount of immaturity to her grief. And, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. I think again, the part of, part of the story of WandaVision is, is she needs to understand how powerful her grief is. And then how do I, how do I live it out? Um, so, you know, she, she is a character who lives out of her pain. Um, and when she finally kind of accepts the truth of that pain, and I love this is something she's, there's that great moment between her and um, uh, Monica Rambo after Monica has been kind of reshaped by the hex and they're having that face off outside her house. And she says, you know, trust me, I know how you're feeling. I know exactly what it was like, like when I lost my mom, um, did I screw up the the Rambos? Is Monica the mom or the daughter? I, uh, I, uh, oh man, now you've got me questioning it. I know. I'm pretty. <laughs> I'll, you keep going. I'll double okay. check. Thank you. I'm pretty. I'm sure. pretty sure you've got it right. I'm okay, pretty sure cool. It's Monica. Um, but be that, yeah. So right, and she says, but I also know that this is the truth of me, and I can't change that, and I wouldn't want to, right? And I think she's offering that wisdom to Wanda of, it's okay that part of your truth is that you're someone who lost somebody. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think when, when Wanda kind of wakes up to that is when things start to change for her and for the town in general and for her story. Um, so it leads me to our final, you know, our final question then is, is what does she teach us? uh, Sorry. I'll just really quickly before that, I will just confirm. Yes. Monica Rambo is, is the right character. Maria was her mother. Right. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. They're very close. It's, it's so close. The names are so close. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not doing us any favors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Comic books. <laughs> um, so I think so much something, there's a word that I really, when I was, when I, I rewatched age of Ultron and infinity war and WandaVision this past week, by the way, I, I've had a lot of free time y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, and I will admit like, this is obviously like, this is only our second episode, but I think it's important to point out even for maybe our own context, why the story has been especially powerful for me. I'm living through a breakup right now and breakups are not fun experiences. They're profound experiences of loss and they suck. (laughs) So I am finding tremendous beauty in this story. I think, I think the, I think the last year for everybody has been a bit like a breakup Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a way, like, like I, I, I think the timing of this series was really fortuitous, almost meant to be in a certain way. Um, in that, uh, in that we are all kind of experienced with grief over the last year, we've all lost a lot in some instances for some people quite literally, they have lost loved ones. Um, and then for, for others of us, it's, it's a loss of a way of life or, or, um, you know, I, I, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people are feeling separated from family. Um, the, the, the pandemic, uh, just to sort of place us in time, if you're listening to this five years from now, uh, you've randomly stumbled upon this podcast. Like it, <laughs> it's, it has been a really interesting time of, uh, grieving and, and kind of to your, to your point earlier it's like like there are there are multiple ways to deal with grief and uh a, one of those is destructive and 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 i think that a lot of people have experienced that over the last year to varying degrees i mean like i can say for myself using my i statements here that uh they that although you know like i didn't lose my job i i i 
my wife and I are still happily married. We've, everybody in our family has been healthy. I, I mean, there is still like that loss of way of life. It's been very difficult with two kids to keep them entertained and occupied. And like, there are opportunities. I mean, Cassie was born, uh, eight, no, eight months. No. Yeah. I don't know. Around eight months before all of this started happening. So for her, it's like, like there are a lot of things that you do with a kid when they're under a year old that we just didn't get to do with her. Um, and, and that was a bummer. And, and that led to, some destructive behaviors. Uh, I would say definitely eating too much junk food, not getting out and exercising on my part, but also, you know, like it's, I'm a lot quicker to anger lately. (laughs) I'm a lot easier to like, like tip over to that point to where I'm, where I'm not just annoyed by something, but I'm like, you know, I'll get to yelling or whatever, like, like things. It's just, I think that we're just all kind of feeling that heightened sensitivity. That's a very similar feeling to grief. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so I think to have this story come in and be about somebody experiencing that on a, in a, in this fantastical way. Right. But then it, it ending in this very transformative, um, hopeful sort of ending as, as much as, you know, losing vision and losing her children at the end. Um, I mean, you got to watch all the way to the end, but of WandaVision, I, I, there is still hope and there is still something to fight for. Um, and I think that where Wanda was at before WandaVision is that she felt like she didn't have anything left to fight for. Right. The world had changed around her in, in the five years that she was gone. Vision was dead. Her brother's dead. Her parents are dead. Like everybody that Captain America is gone, who was a character that she was close with in in the mcu like like all of these these people that were close to her have left her and she's alone and uh i and she, she kind of reacts in the way and the only way that she knows how to um which is very natural for her it's very it's very organic but then by the end of it it's very transformative and she comes out of it yeah. so i think that 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 for us it, watching that it's like you know, here's this example of a character with all of this power um, going through the same thing that we're going through. So, you know, like, hey, uh, when I'm grieving, I don't, you know, manipulate reality around me. So maybe it'll be even easier for me to get through it. And, you know, my transformation at the end might not be quite so spectacular, but I uh, but it but it's still possible. Right. Like and I, I, I think that was one of the hopeful things about about WandaVision. I think it's one of the reasons why it connected. It's just such a universal experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it leaves us in such a positive way, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. That was my experience with it. Um, yeah. Well, I, what I was about to say um, it also, though, is something that connects Wanda and Vision throughout the movies um, is the sense of time. So... Mm. Um, in Infinity War, after they're rescued by you know Captain America and Black Widow and Falcon, you know they're they're leaving and and they're kind of chastising Wanda for having not stayed better in connection, and she says we just wanted a little more time, um, right? That there's this it's it, Wanda's character is always coming up to the reality of time, and how time ultimately always wins. Right. And I think that it kind of feeds into some of the Dr. Strange um, uh, story as well. Right. Uh, I can't, who's the villain in Dr. Strange. Well, uh, Dormammu is the ultimate villain in in Dr. Strange, but Kaecilius is the guy sort of enacting his stuff. Right. And right. And he, he says to Dr. Strange in their first encounter, he says, you know, time is the true enemy time, time, time kills everything. Right. Um, so it's interesting how in this story, because I know obviously in the MCU, we're getting to the point where Wanda, or Scarlet Witch for that matter, and, and Doctor Strange are obviously going to encounter one another. Um, it's neat that her personal story is something that is conflicted by time. Um, and towards the end of WandaVision, you know, after Vision has figured out the truth and, and, and Vision is just kind of this, the character who's always just going to be like, we have to do what's right. I mean, Right. What he asks Wanda to do at the end of Infinity War. I mean, this isn't what either of them want to happen, but it has to happen. Right. It, this The only way we can stop Thanos now is for you to destroy this stone. 
it's time our time is up right um and i love how at the end of wandavision it becomes very clear that she you know she's got to let the people of this town be free again right like she can't continue to allow her grief to um pile on other people and he says to her it's time right it's just like it's very significant that that the idea of time is constantly what they're running up against and i think from again that very human standpoint of we all only have so much time especially all of us who've who've lost loved ones you know you only have so much time with people in this life Mm -hmm. um and yeah i just think it's it's really um you know it's 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 a very human desire to want just a little more time with a loved one you've lost right that that beautiful flashback scene of wanda with vision at the avengers headquarters and vision says like oh i've heard that if you you know if you talk about it it makes things easier she says and she at that point in her grief process she says the only thing that would make it better is if i could see him again you know referring to petro um yeah right and i and i i just think of anybody who's literally lost a loved one to to death right what you what you wouldn't give for one more day i mean monica admits that to to wanda like i understand why you're doing this if i had your powers i don't know that i'd be able to stop myself from being able so that i could see my mother one more time right like that's a very human impulse to want a little more time with the people that we love um and but at the same time the story is going to teach us a truth and it's the truth that wanda learns which is simply you don't have forever. So, um, right. There's, there's the old adage better to have loved and lost than never have loved at all. I think that's a truth that this story is reminding us of that, right. Falling in love is always a risk (laughs) and, you know, always a risk, no matter what, even if it's a love that lasts forever, eventually time will take one of you, (laughs) you know, and then you have to experience that, that loss and it's friggin' hard but it's better to have had that experience in life than to have never taken the risk. Um, So Mike, if you don't mind, I'm going to play kind of this really powerful clip from the last episode of WandaVision, which I don't, I realize, you know, at this point, we're obviously so far into the conversation. We never gave a spoiler warning, but the show's been out for a while. I feel like if you're listening, you've probably seen it. Hey, we're, we're, we're talking about it. The the whole series, this whole podcast series is going to be spoilers. Okay. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, I avoided the Falcon ones. We're not going to get into Falcon. Right. Right. But but anyway, okay. So this is, this is from the, their final moments together at the end of WandaVision. I have been a voice with nobody. Body but not human, and now a memory made real. And that's what I might be next. We have said goodbye before, so it stands to reason. I can't watch that scene without tearing up <laughs> even <laughs> out of the context of the the story itself. But you, you know, I love that you, you said as much Mike that the story does end with tremendous hope. Um, right. That, that this loss, that the losses we experience in some yeah. way are never in a weird way. They're never forever. Um, and, and again, right. Like I, I think it, speaking out of the, a, a Christian context, Christians don't believe that death is the end. Most religious traditions don't believe that death is the final end. Um, you know, we all have varying degrees of what the other side of that looks like. Um, and that's a conversation for a totally different <laughs> place. But um, the reality is the same is that that opportunity to say hello again still exists. Um, and yeah, I, I that story ends with like, Wanda, learn, you know, she she really learns that losing someone is probably the hardest thing to experience in life, and yet the reason it's so hard is because you were you were given the gift of being in love, you were given the gift of having that experience, and it's something 
that's always worth it. Um, and I think that that's a very profound message to be reminded of. Um, and one final thing I'd like to do, Mike, if you don't mind, because I love I love music. I love talking about music, specifically on the Wampus Lair. Every May, we usually dedicate the entire month to just talking about Star Wars music um, and, and how it's used in storytelling elements. I want to play the music from that scene, isolated from the dialogue. Um, and the score is written by Christoph Beck, who who's done a lot of the Marvel, um, a lot of the Marvel music. Um, he did the Ant-Man movies, which while the Ant-Man movies aren't my favorite stories, they do have some of my favorite music. Um, he's a very gifted composer. Uh, and, and then one of the final tracks from the episode nine score, the track is called What Am I? I just want... I, I'm going to just play this brief snippet of of that music that's playing as they're having that conversation. And I think what's really interesting is how he's using the music to also convey the story and, and, and convey emotionally. And notice there's there are two sections of strings. There are kind of these lower strings that are a little bit more earnest. They're very quick paced. Um, again, kind of like this reminder of, hey, time is limited, right? There's an earnestness to how we have to sometimes live out our lives. And then the higher strings are recognizing kind of the beauty of what you get to experience in that time. And then as they kind of come to the, we'll say hello again, you'll notice that the strings start to become in harmony, that they work together. Um, so I'm going to just, this is like 30 seconds of music. So get, I'll, let me cue this up for us. Cool. So, right. This is the more earnest stuff here at the bottom. And you get the horns that are kind of celebrating it the higher strings are starting to come in. I just love that musical storytelling right there. You know, you've got the earnestness of life with this triumphant experience of love and it, it creates this har harmonious, harmonious song, right? That's quite beautiful. And I think to me, this is the story of Wanda, the, the, the character of Wanda, her lesson, I think to all of us. And, and I love how you so pointedly pointed out that this message is so important a year after this pandemic that has just ravished us with grief is the reminder that while everything is limited, there is just this tremendous power in letting ourselves take the risk of being in love and, and living in harmony with the fact that things have sometimes a timestamp and yet they're still beautiful. Um, so, and, and that, I guess, even reminds me of one of the most profound things Vision first says, which is at the end of Age mm -hmm. Ultron, when he says something isn't beautiful because it lasts, right? It's just, it's still beautiful, even if it's impermanent. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, to me, that's what makes this character so great. She is our, our modern goddess of grief who reminds us that grief is a process and it can be destructive and it can be really painful and hard. And yet it can also be the grounds of rebirth and um, something beyond what we thought was possible. Right. And, and, and I, it, and vision gives her that at the end, you know, at first I was just a computer system and then now I'm a memory made real. Who knows what I'll be next. That is a statement of profound beauty and hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the, the journey of those two characters and sort of the way that they're, that they're interwoven and, uh, and, and, and then come to a climax here in WandaVision is, uh, I, this, this is why we're talking about the MCU, right? It, there isn't, there just isn't another storytelling method, <laughs> I think, at least for me, that's as effective as as what the mcu is doing this is why comic books 
are still around despite you know I, I many attempts from both I, I human and economic forces to to kill them off uh, since they were created in, in the 1930s um, the, like the, these these this medium this this storytelling uh, model survives because we have the opportunity within it to really explore what it is to be human and in the best way, in the same way. I mean, like, like when we bring up Greek myth, when we bring up superheroes in the same, in the same breath, it like, there's a reason why it's because these are modern myths in this. And they, they serve the same purpose that the gods did uh, you know, 2000, 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when we talk about Demeter and Persephone, we're talking about humans trying to come to grips with why, why do we plant seeds in the spring only to watch them wither in the fall and, and just to live through death in the winter. Right. Like what? Because the the seasons are what they are, and it's uncontrollable. It's outside of our purview, and especially at that point in time, it was outside of our understanding. We didn't we didn't realize that we were on a chunk of uh, uh, mineral spinning around a giant ball of gas on a very specific angle at a very specific distance in a very specific part of the galaxy in a specific part of the universe, and that's the only reason why any of it works. Right. Like we couldn't we couldn't even begin to perceive that. So what do we do? We we concoct these stories and we weave this tapestry of gods and demigods and humans and heroes in order to try and make some sense of our world around us to to try and put some sort of poetry and art to the chaos and suffering because <laughs> the 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 one of the only truths of the universe is is entropy which is that everything eventually will die right um like eventually like the 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 universe exploded in a big bang and eventually it'll stop expanding and it'll start contracting and it'll just kind of blip back into nothing um which all goes right back into what vision said of a thing is not beautiful because it lasts right mm-hmm. um and and so now we create these mythologies with superheroes and we don't need to explain science. <laughs> we have science. We learned that in school. Yeah. So I don't need a superhero to explain to me why the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. I know why. Um, I don't need to understand the nature of the seasons. I don't need to know, you know, where life comes from. Like we 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 have those answers. We have that science. So what don't we have answers to? Well, you know, grief is one of those things. Grief, uh, where do we go when we die? What happens to us? Um, which I think is a very big part of the, the, the story here of like, like what is vision and, and what, when she restores him, is that, is that vision or is that, a facsimile of vision. And then we, in, in the very specific instance of this character, because it is science fiction, because it is mythology, we can have the body of vision reanimated and separate and even have the mind intact, but without the soul, right? He has all of the memories. He has all of the knowledge of, of the vision, but he is not vision. He's not viz, right? Like he's not that person. Um, and and what is that magical thing that's missing and is part of it still inside Wanda, right? And I like to me that is the that's the final lesson of it is that it's not it's not that Viz or or her children disappear or are destroyed. They go back to where they were before, before she created the 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 construct right before she created this alternate reality that she was controlling and allowed them to exist outside of her, which is why when it collapses, they collapse with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's only within that construct, within that spell that they're able to within the hex that they're able to, to survive. 
so that part of her, that part of Viz is still inside of her. The the part that is the Mind Stone, right? That 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 part that in Infinity War we're worried like if we remove the Mind Stone, is he still Vision? And we've still got that those other parts of Vision out there. We have the answer to that question, which is like, is he still Vision? And we get the whole ship of Theseus thing, which when we eventually circle back around and we do an episode about Vision, we'll dig into more. But but. It is like for for Wanda, I think it's this realization that that no matter what, like that 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 effect that Vision, that effect that Pietro and and her parents and all of the people around her have had on her, like like we live on in the people that we influence, and if we if we ever get into a conversation about afterlife and what that means and what what you know where do we go when we die, <laughs> we have that conversation. I am of the opinion that that you know I I if there is an afterlife it's it's the quality of it is definitely determined by the mark that you left on the people in your life right um that that I that if you were loved then you know I then you never really die and uh, maybe that's a metaphysical thing. Maybe that's a just a philosophical thing. I don't know, but I don't have the answer to that. But but to me, like that's kind of that's kind of where we end up with this is is vision is never gone as long as Wanda is still there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, within the mechanics of the Marvel universe, she's going to try and figure out a way to bring back her children and and her husband. But um, but just from like the the lesson learned and the and the spiritual component of it i think that there is definitely um a good lesson to be to be gleaned from that in that you know as long as as it's the it's the love persevering thing right what is grief but love persevering like that that is just like it continues even though the person is gone they're just not there to express it to right and that can be because they're physically gone they're they've died or they are just not present. They've, they've, you know, it's a, in the instance of, like you said, like a breakup, right. That's, that's grief. It's like, it, there's, there is a feeling and it is not returned. <laughs> it's not, it has no place to go. So it just kind of circles in on itself. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but understanding that, that like, that feeling don't like, don't let it become a bitter thing. Don't let it become destructive. Don't let it become hurtful because the privilege just to have gotten it in the first place is something that, that not everybody gets to have. Right. Yep. So absolutely. So yeah. that, that's kind of the, that's, that to me is the biggest takeaway. Yeah. That, that yeah. Right There's the takeaway. Absolutely. And you know what they, even in the instance of a, you know, I, I think the loss of, a loved one to death is a very different type of grieving than a loss of someone from a breakup, right? Like the other person is yeah. still around, <laughs> you know, you still care for one another, but you can't be together anymore for, you know, always other, always reasons. Um, and I think they're, they're both very hard, but I think like you're saying, the reality is, is the impact that you, the love that you shared that never goes away. Right. Um, you know, whether the, the person is gone because because of death or because the person is gone because life no longer works out together. The love that you shared that, that always stays with you and that makes you a better person ideally. (laughs) Um, and yeah. And I think, like you said, that's, that's the lesson of Wanda is Wanda, um, in this big grandiose, crazy story is a very human story that reminds us that our grief is very powerful and it's something worth letting out. Um, and processing through so that we can better understand um, the beauty of what we've experienced in life Um, and, and hold on to the hope that uh, you know, that, that powerful experience you had, you will have again, hopefully. (laughs) So (laughs) you said, you said something just now that, that I, that I just want to kind of riff on a little bit, which is uh, that like that idea that, that, you know, I uh, even when we lose someone, hopefully, you know, just, just the experience of being with them has made us a better person. Right. And I think, I think the important thing that Wanda learns in this and, and the important thing for a lot of us to take away from it is 
that whether or not you become a better person or whether or not like let's use a breakup as an example because because i think this is something we can all relate to especially high school breakups right i oftentimes we choose the the quicker and easier route which is to to just get bitter and spiteful and not like the other person because we we kind of make that that becoming a better person thing contingent on the on the other person mm-hmm. like on 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 an outside force we it's just human nature we want we want other people to do the hard work <laughs> we don't want to do the hard work ourselves right um but but especially in these instances and in instances of grief and of and of growth from it the only person who can ultimately make you a better person is you right like it's like the 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 mind stone the scarlet witch whatever none of that stuff is important these are all just external forces or internalized things but but ultimately it's up to wanda to choose and it's in that moment when when the all of the townspeople are kind of kind of coming towards her and going like just just let us die or whatever right and she's going like I have, she has to make a choice. Is she going to continue to allow her grief to hurt other people or is she going to deal with it and and grow from it, right? And Vision can't do that for her. Her children can't do that for her. Agatha can't do that for her, right? It's it has to be a decision that she makes and it has to be something that she works on herself, right? And I and I think that to me is is really key in understanding um sort of like the the positive outcome of this story because i i remember seeing when when wandavision ended there was a lot of discourse about like oh you know i wanted her to have a happy ending and have these things that she that she gained right and it's like yeah but it is a happy ending because by the end of it she's come into her power she understands it and she's in control of it whereas I think what you've been talking about a lot, we've kind of been talking in circles around is that like when that grief explodes out of her and rips those Ultron bots to shreds, she's not in control. Mm, Yeah. When, when she comes to Westview and she stands in the middle of that empty lot and she breaks down and that energy explodes out of her and transforms the town and creates the hex. She's not in control. Right. But in that post credit scene, her physical body is walking around, like sitting outside, walking around, making a cup of tea. And her power is contained and controlled and doing the work in the back room. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like what a transformation for that character. What a difference. And the outfit and everything definitely exemplifies that. She went from all of these different outfits that were like kind of, I always loved the design of Scarlet Witch in, in the MCU. I love all of her costumes that she's had, but they always felt a little bit off to me. And then you see her in her final form in WandaVision. And it was like, finally, that's her. Mm-hmm. that's Wanda. That's the Scarlet witch. And it's because she's finally in control of her power. She's finally, uh, I, I uh, fully realized it. One, one thing that I'll point out to people that maybe you haven't noticed, um, go back and look at the costume. So she's kind of got this almost like a necklace design. It's, it's like a, it's like a halter top top to it. Right. Where it's like got the, like the sleeveless, but it's kind of got that almost like a choker around her neck. And right in the center of it, there's a shape. It's a hexagon, but it's an elongated hexagon. It's the exact same shape as Vision's Mind Stone, mm. right? Because the Mind Stone itself is kind of a jaggedy, like, right? It's not a, it's not a perfect shape. But when it was integrated into Vision, it had that perfect hexagonal, like that elongated hexagonal prism shape to it, right? And that shape is right there like basically basically like uh, just below her throat i think um sort of like that solar plexus which when you look at chakras and stuff it's 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 in an important place basically where the heart chakra is it's like it and it's the center of her power is the is the mind stone but it's not there there's not actually a stone there it's just a hole right yeah but she created that outfit she created like she recognizes that hole 
but it's not like something is missing. It's just a part of it. Right. And that man, the visual design of these characters uh, is something that I think a lot of people take for granted. They just kind of, Oh, that looks cool. Oh, Captain America looks neat. Uh, but, but the costume designers and, and the concept artists uh, that work in the MCU, I believe it's Andy Park that did that, that did that suit. Um, they go the extra mile. <laughs> they put it in there and, and it's, it's, uh, it's legit. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. I've said everything I need to say. <laughs> we can wrap it up now. We've been talking for a while. Yeah, that was great. Cool. I, well, awesome. I, I th- thank you, Carl, for leading us through that one. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to, to jump into more of these. We haven't decided who we're doing next. We haven't, we haven't decided what the next episode is yet. We're going to, we're going to kind of put together a bit of a content calendar for ourselves so that we know what's coming up and can prep for it and stuff. But, uh, but we'll be back soon, uh, with another episode to talk about another Marvel cinematic universe character, uh, um, I don't know. My, my vote's always going to be to go into Tony, but we could talk about <laughs> Spider Man. We could talk about we could talk about Doctor Strange. We could talk about Captain Marvel. There's a lot of characters. Actually, Captain Marvel is probably too early. There's not a lot of content there. But yeah. uh, but we'll be back soon with another episode. Uh, I thank thank you guys for listening. Uh, uh, if you're a Patreon supporter at at the uh, five dollar level or above, uh, you'll also be getting. Uh, a, a brand new episode of off the record this week. You're getting, getting a double dose this week. Uh, Cause Carl wanted to come back and do this episode real quick. So, uh, so, so lucky you guys, you're getting some extra content, but, uh, but yeah, we're kind of on our, our, our regular schedule now, I think, I don't know. I need to look at my calendar, <laughs> figure it out. But um, in any case, thank you, Carl. Thank you everybody for listening and we will see you on the next one. Metaphysical Fiction is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts or follow us at thunderquackpod on Twitter and thunderquackpodcast on Instagram.